It's already been good to be here tonight. I'm thankful that God is here and I can feel His Holy Spirit. I want to get right into His Word this this evening. Um, Third chapter of Titus, starting in the third verse, it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is this faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I don't usually jump into the reading of the Scriptures this evening, but I want to thank God that through Him there was a but. And through Him there was a change. And through Him and Him alone we have a way. And the story doesn't stop when man ate of that fruit in the garden. The story doesn't stop when God convicts your soul and tells you that you are lost and undone. The story doesn't stop when this world hung in the balance and Jesus Christ was lifted up on that cross. The story doesn't stop because He, through His blood and His sacrifice and His holy love that He brought upon us, through Him and Him alone, we have hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ alone. Not of works of righteousness which this man or you have done, but by His grace He saved us. And He changed us and He gave us a way He gave us a way out. I'm thankful that we serve a God that doesn't leave us in our darkest hour. That doesn't leave us to scrape out of that bottomless pit on our own. He knew that we would need a Savior. He knew that before time even began that man would fall. We would choose disobedience. We would choose the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life over His promises and His goodness. And He put us in a happy, perfect state in the garden. And we still disobeyed Him. But thanks be to God, even in the curse, when He brought forth justice, He gave us mercy through His Son. And that one day His Son would come to this earth and make all things new. I love when He talked to Mary and He talked to the disciples there and He said, Behold, I make all things new. If you're here tonight and you were lost, I want to tell you about a new life that you could have. A life that's not filled with heartache. A life that's not filled with pain but a life that is filled with abundance, the Scripture says. It's abundant goodness. It's abundant mercy which He's given us. 
If you fill your life up with that, if you fill your life up with His Spirit, I want to tell you that you will be complete. But there's nothing, there's no spirit of this world that can fill up your vessel but the blood of Jesus. That's what you need. That's what you need, and that's what this world needs. Oh, they're searching in so many different places. They're searching to the right. They're searching to the left. They're bumping into the each other, and they're falling into the ditch one by one, and they're going to that devil's hell. But I want to tell you that there is hope in Christ and hope in Him alone. And let me point you to Jesus. Not by works of righteousness that you could do. There's no good works that you could do to outweigh what you've already done and that sinful nature that's been put upon you by the sins of Adam and the sins of Eve way back in the garden that brought upon you the sinful nature that you have. And to my lost son, I want to tell you that there's no place you can go but to Jesus. I want to take our scripture reading from the second book of Timothy. Paul's letter to Timothy here. Thankfully, he wrote two letters. Second chapter, starting in the 20th verse. And if the Lord allows and you allow it, I want to take some liberty. With these verses, I'm not going to take them out of context, but I am going to try to paint a picture with the Lord's help. We'll read the last uh, six verses of this chapter, starting in the 20th. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them to repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by Him at His will. These verses are written to His church, talking about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And uh, He charged ministers and charged elders in these verses, but I want us to think of ourselves tonight as a vessel. I want us to think of ourselves as a vase and act like there's a vase just sitting right out here in front of you this evening. And that's you. That's you. 
If you are blessed to be parents or around little baby children, you'll see that they come into this world and they come almost as blank slates. You got to teach them everything. They don't know how to eat. They don't know how to walk. They don't know how to talk. And you fill them up with knowledge as you teach them and as you parent them. And you try to tell them about the world. Try to tell them about Jesus. Try to tell them about things they need to know. And as they get older, they themselves are one day be able to fill up their vessels with knowledge and wisdom. And I want to tell you that these bodies, I'm not sure there was a debate a while back. I'm sure it's still debated, but if we're a two-part or three-part man, uh, for our purposes, we're, we're going to just tell a difference between the flesh and the soul. God, when He created man, He made us different than any other creation. He created us on the sixth day. And not only did He form us out of the ground, but He breathed unto us the breath of life and man became a living soul. And we're different than dogs and cats and all the creation. And one day when breath leaves this body, our soul will go to one of two places. Either go to heaven or it will go to hell. There's not a third option. There's only heaven and hell. And that soul that God created, He created it to be eternal. He created it to live forever. And we as finite beings, beings that have a beginning and an end, and everything that we see in this world has a beginning and an end, we have trouble wrapping our mind around eternity. But I want to tell you, it's a very long time. There is no end. There is no end ending to eternity. Just as God had no beginning, God also has no ending. When this world is uh, destroyed by fire, it'll end and time will also end. That fourth dimension of time will cease to exist. And we won't be able to count days or nights. There will just be us. So you are a living soul. And each one of you has a beautiful value in the sight of God. For while you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He paid the ultimate price for your soul. And He, no matter what creed or credence or what you may look like or where you come from, He gave the same value to you that He does to me and so on and so forth. Everybody in this world has a soul. Whether we be from Indiana, whether we be from Florida, or South Africa, or Russia, or wherever we might be from, God has looked upon us. And He gave His Son to us. And we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day and give an answer for the works that we have done in this life. And the main work that we have given an answer to is the blood of Jesus applied to your heart. As as the verses we read already and you're hearing tonight, not of any works of righteousness which we have done, but by His grace and His grace alone, He saved us. So as we stand there before the judgment seat of Christ, that 
great white throne that's going to be in front of everyone one day. We must all give an answer. What did you do with your time? Where? What did you do? Who did you talk to? What did you do with the time that I gave you? And he'll separate the sheep from the goats. How will we know? Well, the name will be written on our hearts. And our name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And that will be it. I'm not going to preach every doctrine <laughs> this evening, but I want to tell you that, that there's no other way. There's no other way to get to heaven but by the blood of Jesus Christ. But as we think about those vessels and how that we are empty vessels, I want us to think about how we live our lives and think about you as, as you go about uh, your day tomorrow. We're all going to leave here and if God allows us safe travels home, we're going to go home, we're going to go to bed and we're going to most likely wake up tomorrow, we're going to go to work or what have you. What are you going to fill your mind with? What are you going to fill your vessel with tomorrow? What music are you going to listen to? What thoughts are you going to think? What things on uh, the radio are you going to listen to? Whatever you listen to, whatever you bring into your vessel is under your control. So if we let ourselves get bogged down with all the problems of life, we are going to start to feel bogged down. If we allow this world and all the evil in it to bog us down and to discourage us, it's not going to be very long until the best of us fall to discouragement. That's one of the devil's greatest tools is discouragement. And that's what he uses. And that's, that's, we can see it coming for miles, but yet we are so uh, open to it sometimes. We don't want to be so far away from this world that we're so out of touch, so we do turn on the TV sometimes. We do get into the talk at the water cooler. We do talk to other people around. And we listen and we hear and we see the gas prices. We see and hear what's going on in other countries and the wars and the rumors of wars. But I want to tell you that even in Christ's day, there were wars and there were rumors of wars. There was slavery. There was awful things being done. And Jesus didn't say that I came to take all those things away. But he said that I came to give you an abundant life. I came to give you a, a reprieve from those things. I came to rescue you from those things of this world. But yet he even inspired those words of Paul that wrote those letters out. He said, if you find yourself in slavery, be good to your master. Love those that persecute you. Those that hate you, pray for them. Pray for those that despitefully use you. It all starts as our pastor has been talking about a lot lately from the heart. He didn't say that I came to set up my kingdom when they were all gathered around him and he was getting ready to ascend into heaven. A lot of them asked, is now when you will send up your kingdom, will the Jewish um, providence be restored? Will, will we see you on your throne? He said, no. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is spiritual. 
And when he came to rescue souls, he came to do just that. He wanted to give you freedom of consciousness, freedom of mind, freedom of soul. And you can only have that when you are yoked with him in Christ. You cannot have those things if you are not being, if you're not saved by his grace. You cannot have them if you are not daily choosing him. Paul talked about in the 7th chapter of the book of Romans, a warfare. And I want to tell you that Apostle Paul seemed like a great guy to me. He wasn't perfect, but I think we can follow his example. He even said, follow me as I follow Christ. But even he had a war within the flesh. And he would complain about the things that he wished he could do. He has trouble doing. And the things he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing. So I know, he says, I find myself in this warfare. And the only relief I'm going to have is one day when this corruptible flesh puts on incorruption. When this seed dies and it goes down to the ground and it is raised up in newness of life. That's the only time that this flesh will work perfectly. But while we are here in this life, we are vessels And we have to choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua, when he stood there, he had the choice. And he told all the congregation of choice to make. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And every day it has to be a choice. Every day Paul got up and he said, I had to mortify those deeds of the flesh. King James sometimes uses words we don't use today. We don't understand. Mortify means Put to death. Put to death the things of the flesh. That sounds pretty intense. But that's what it has to be because the things of this life will bring you nothing but misery. Nothing but emptiness. It's all vanity of vanities. Emptiness. And just like that vessel, if you fill it up with the spirits of this world, if you fill it up with alcohol, that himself, they call themselves spirits. And they will bring you all kinds of unclean spirits. If you fill it up with drugs, that also brings forth spirits that you don't want to know about and you don't want to deal with. If you fill it up with sin and all the lasciviousness of this world and the emptiness, you're going to find yourself empty. And you yourself, even though you've been saved by God's grace, you're going to lose all touch of God's goodness. You won't be lost but you will lose out on the joy of the salvation that He has given you. You'll lose out on your uh, the joy of salvation that David cried out and he repented for and he asked God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He didn't lose it, did he? He still called it God's salvation because God gave it to him. But he still wanted it restored because he was missing out on so many blessings. But there are consequences for our sins, are there not? Even in David's life, it said the sword of the Lord never left his house. He had to deal with conflict after conflict. And as you read about his life, it's so... I feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for all the conflicts he had to deal with. He was a good man. He was a good king. He had a heart that was after the Lord. But even he had to deal with conflicts. And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to find tribulation. 
That means you're going to find strife. You're going to find problems. You're going to be stressed. You're going to have trouble sometimes making ends meet. You're going to have trouble with family and friends. You're going to have trouble in this life. But he said to be of good cheer. Because he has overcome the world. And I don't think we need to take that lightly. Jesus hung on a cross. And if you think about his sacrifice that he made, he gave it all. And he didn't have to give anything. He made the choice to take off his crown. He made the choice to take off his royal robe and to stand up from that seat of righteousness and to step down and take upon him the flesh of man. And to daily deal with the things that Job had to deal with. To daily deal with the things that Paul had to deal with. To daily deal with the things that you have to deal with. You may not have perfect health. You may have family problems. You may have money problems. But I want to tell you that Jesus is the God that can solve every problem in your heart. He's the God of your heart. He's the God of your soul. And He's the God of the only thing that matters. What are you going to fill your your vessel up with? Are you going to fill it up with discouragement? Are you going to fill it up with, oh, woe is me. Oh, I feel so sorry for myself. I'm going to fill it up with uh, depression. I'm going to fill it up with all these things. Or are you going to fill it up with the goodness of God? It is your choice. It's easy. It is easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? It's it's been it's been said, it's been asked, you know, preacher, what do I have to do to go to hell? Nothing. You're on your way. You're on your way. What do I have to do to go to heaven? Well, you have to meet God's condition. Preacher, what does it take to be happy and fulfilled in this life? Well, you need to fill up your vessel with the Lord. David said when he was filling the spirit that his cup, his vessel was running over. Have you felt like that where God's goodness was being poured out on your soul so much where it would spill out of your vessel and onto the saucer and onto the floor and everywhere and everyone can see it because of the goodness of God that he's doing within you. He said, behold, I have begun a good work in you, not on you or around you or with you. He said, I've begun a good work in you. You have to let your light shine. Where is your light? Is it around you? Is it your home? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it is your happiness without you or is it within you? Where does your happiness come from? Does it come from others? Does it come from mom or dad? Does it come from a spouse? Does it come from money? Does it come from this world? Think about it. Where does it come from? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything that is good comes in from God into your soul. And if you want to find true happiness, if you want to be truly fulfilled, if you want your cup to be running over, if you want your vessel to be filled up with the goodness of God, you have to seek out God every day. 
to read the scriptures, read the Bible, meditate on it, breathe it, pant after it. <laughs> David said, as a deer pants in the wilderness, my soul longs to hear from the Lord. My soul longs to hear about his goodness. My soul longs to feel what it needs to feel. Do we even know that we're empty? Do we even know that we're like that church in Asia? And we look at ourselves, do we think we're clothed? Do we think that we have our three-piece suits on? That we've got it all together? That, brothers and sisters, I'm good enough for my works because I'm not like this person over here. Or I'm not like this person. Their life is so messed up. I want to tell you that you are an inch away from failure. You are an inch away from falling in the same pits that they are. You are an inch away from infidelity, from adultery, from drugs, alcohol. You are an inch away and it's only by the goodness of God that we find ourselves and we are as good as we are. Because brothers and sisters, if we turn our backs in God, He'll allow us to fall as far as we want to go. If you take one little step into sin, it's like quicksand. It will gobble you up and it will take you as far as you want to go away from God. But thanks be to God, He's there with open arms. If we just turn away, as the pastor said this morning, we don't have to go all the way back through our muck and, and the mud of our life to get to God. We just have to turn around because He's right there. And He's calling us back to Him. I love that Jesus Christ, it's, everything about Him is perfect and everything about Him, He did for a reason and a purpose, but you know, He died like this. He died as a picture for you and me. His arms died for you wide open. And even that little bug, that little bug, that crimson bug that dies on a tree to make the red paint, it takes that little bug to die in order to make that beautiful crimson blood. Just the little things in God's creation, they cry out to His glory. The grass follows the sun during the day. And it, the rocks and the trees, the Bible says, will cry out. And I pray that they don't have to cry out for me. But they even will. Everything in creation screams that Jesus is the Christ. That God created this whole world. But this world tries so hard to hide those truths from us. And we as Christians, we allow those things to come in. I don't want it to be like that anymore. I want my vessel full of God's goodness. You don't want to know why? Because I've tasted that He is good. Have you tasted the Lord lately? <laughs> who was it? I believe it was Isaiah. Who, who ate the, tasted the Bible, the Word? Was it Isaiah or Jeremiah? One of one of them. One of them got to eat the scriptures and it tasted like honey on his lips. He told him to consume that word and it tastes good, does it not? When you feel the Lord, is there any other feeling like it? You may not hop and jump around. You may not bawl your eyes out. You may not cry and lift holy hands. 
But I can tell you, you feel it in your heart, do you not? And it's unlike any other feeling of this world. I pray that you haven't tasted other things in this life, but I want to tell you that nothing in this life can compare to what the goodness of God is. There's no distraction like it. There's no love like it. There's no high as I've heard like it. There's nothing like the goodness of God. I've tasted that the Lord is good. And I want to tell you that He is sufficient for all mankind. He's sufficient for you. He's sufficient for me. And not only in this life, but we're going to one day be in heaven. And I don't think we'll ever be bored in heaven to you. I try to tell my kids about eternity. and It's funny, some things they say, but... They say, eternity is a long time. What are we going to do in heaven? I think there'll be plenty of things for us to do. I think there'll be plenty of things. We read about the streets of gold. John did his best, didn't he? Our language is limited, but he, he did his best. He painted a beautiful picture about that city, didn't he? And he didn't just say it's it's square miles. He said it's cubed miles. That makes me think we're going to fly. That the laws of even gravity, the things that weigh us down in this life, won't weigh us down in heaven. We'll be able to go wherever we please because the Lord made it and He made it in perfection. Oh, I, would, I wish I could have seen the Garden of Eden I'm not sure how heaven's going to be, but I think it's going to be a lot like that garden. I think it's going to have beautiful trees and a beautiful setting with rolling hills and mountains off in the distance and a beautiful stream running by the river of life. Don't you think it's going to look like that? And the great white throne will be there and the center of it all will be Jesus. And there'll be no need for sun or lights because the Bible says that He will be the light. Oh, there's no darkness in His light. There's no darkness. There's no shadow of turning. There's nothing that can prevent us seeing Him for who He truly is. The Bible does a good job of describing it. That His, when He appeared to Daniel, when He appeared to John there, it's the same man, was it not, by the river? It's the same man. That His hair <laughs> was glowing and his eyes like fire. <laughs> and he was wrapped about in that holy robe. Oh, he was glorious then. And he's still glorious today. I can feel his presence from time to time. But I can't feel him when I'm far away from him. It's a lot better to be close to the fire, is it not? And not like that coal that bounced to the other side of the room. The one that loses its fire. It's nice to be put back in that fire where we can feel the heat from one another. To feel the heat from God. Then the spark that only comes through and by that Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is all we need. There is no good thing in us. Save Jesus. The Bible calls our works, the works that we try to do, as filthy rags. No, I don't want to, I am no judge of, of mankind. I don't know 
the heart of anybody, but the, the Lord sees them the hearts. And I can't judge people, but you wonder about the things you see and hear about on TV, about the, uh, the quote-unquote, the good things going on uh, and all these so-called churches being built in all these countries and, and the good works they try to do. But I want to tell you, if they're deceiving people, if they're out there making them twofold the child of hell, that their works are as filthy rags. We need to be in prayer for those folks because there is a deceiver that wears a three-piece suit and he's a silver-tongued devil. And there are hundreds of them. And they are so close to the Scriptures. They are so close to what the Bible teaches. They use the same Scriptures that we use. And they preach from the same pulpits that we preach from. But in their hearts, they're deceived. The Bible calls them ravening wolves. I pray that God would rescue the souls that are deceived by them. And I'm not saying that everyone that hears what they're saying is deceived. We have others who have came and joined the church from outside denominations. You can be in an outside denomination and still believe in the same Jesus that I know. God is greater than sometimes we give Him credit for. But I want to tell you that there is a work to be done and there is a world out there that doesn't have the same access to the Gospel that you and I do. I bring my children to this church because this church preaches and teaches the truth. I don't bring them here because my parents brought me here. I'm thankful they did. But I bring them here because that Holy Spirit bears witness in my spirit. And I see the writing in His Scriptures. And I know the same burning spirit that's within me is the same burning spirit that comes out from our preacher's mouths. And I listen critically. I don't critically listen, but I try to listen and I try to make sure that He's teaching and preaching the truth. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that He is. And if He wasn't, I would talk to Him about it. And if He didn't turn away from it, we would leave and go find somewhere else. I'm not married to the religion just because it says missionary Baptist. I'm married to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His truth alone. And if this church ever deviates from that, I pray that we would have enough individuals that would know and understand the truth to correct that error. Because there is churches where we came from, if we trace our lineage back to Virginia and back to that area, that they were sound and now they're not. Because of so many reasons, but the main reason is because good people stayed silent. <laughs> I pray that rocks and trees would cry out in those areas, but maybe he'll send some of us back over there. I'm thankful we do have a, a true church in Upper Spotsylvania. What are you filling your vessel up with? Now I want to tell you that there is a warfare. Peter, I like Peter. He's a lot like me, and sometimes he got it wrong. Sometimes he got it right. But you think about Peter and 
the first thing he did when they came to uh, get Jesus and take him, he, he drew his sword and he cut off Malchus's ear. And he was ready to fight. And Jesus corrected him and he said, this is not a physical warfare, but this is a spiritual warfare. We don't fight each other. We fight against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you can't see the writing on the wall, it is the work of Satan all across this world. And sometimes it comes in and it's obvious and sometimes he comes in and he's pretty sly like that fox. Sometimes he it's like that story of that frog. You, you want to boil a frog, you don't throw him into boiling water. You sit him into cold water and you slowly turn that temperature up. That's the kind of tactics that the devil uses. He slowly enters things in. And a hundred years ago, you wouldn't see things you do today. And so on and so forth. But the devil is a roaring lion. I like to watch nature shows. Sometimes my kids do. Usually it's me watching myself. But I watch those lions and they like to save their energy because they're big and they're strong and they go after the slow one. And, and you know, if I'm ever getting chased by a bear, I don't have to be the fastest. I just got to be faster than you, right? But he he's a roaring lion going out seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't try to go after somebody that's on fire for the Lord, somebody that's full up with their vessel of things of God. He goes after the discouraged ones. He goes after the weak. He goes and kicks you when you're down. And that's why we come together as God's people in a church. To bear one another's burdens. Because we all can't be strong all the time. We all can't be on the mountain all the time. Growth and the best food is found in the valley. So that's why the shepherd is always on the move. He's going from the mountaintop to escape the wolves. And he goes down back in the valley. That's where the best grass is for the sheep. And he goes up and down. And that's, that's our Christian life. It's up and down. But as we're down in the valley, we ought to bear one another's burdens. And the strong to bear the burdens of the weak. And if you see a brother or a sister struggling, talk to them. Pray for them. Because we are in a warfare. We're in a battle. And brethren, I need your prayers. And you need my prayers. The devil is very smart. But he can't be all places at all times. And sometimes we give him too much credit. The devil made me do it. There's a lot of people in this world. I, I think the last count was 7 billion. Um, it's, it's a lot. And he can't deal with 7 billion people all at once. But he has many demons. And he has many influences. Uh, I don't know how many angels God created. I, I, I tend to think it's maybe one or two for each person that's ever been born. And maybe more than that. But I do know that a third of the angels in heaven join Satan. 
And they were all cast out. And they are all still on the prowl today because they are defeated. At the very end, they're going to be cast in that lake of fire forever and ever. But now they are loose. They are here. And they are crafty. There was an author, um, same author that wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. But he wrote letters called the Screw Tape Letters. And if you've never read those, those are good. It's a good little uh, read to read. But it talks about a, an older demon kind of coaching a younger demon. And a lot of the stories about uh, what we talked about before, you know, using that frog analogy, you don't try and, and, and do a gross thing where people will notice. You just slowly intervene, slowly enter into those distractions. Uh, the, uh, the person that they were trying to keep away from God uh, heard the message. And God was dealing in his heart. And the demon knew that. And he said, well, let, let's, let's uh, remind him he's got an appointment to go to. So they, um, if you put it nowadays, maybe they put a notification on your phone. And those nasty notifications, you've got to get rid of them, don't you? As soon as they pop up, you've got to get rid of them. Because they're just going to drive you crazy. Or uh, the, the train was coming down the tracks and it was it was almost here. And he was thinking about God and he was getting ready to pray in his heart. But they said that we distract him enough. He's not going to pray to God. And we got him for another day. The devil hates you. He can't win and he can't defeat God. So he hates God's creation because God loves you so much. He can't get to God. He'll never win, but I tell you, He's stronger than you. He may not be omnipresent. He may not be omniscient. And He may not be all-powerful. But I want to tell you that He is more powerful than we are. And He's smarter than we are. And He's older than we are. He's had time to prove His tactics. And he's had time to go through uh, different ones and he know this thing works and that thing works. And this world is full of distractions. And it's, it's full. If you want to be distracted, you can be distracted. If you want to set out to read your Bible, you got to put your phone in a different room. Sometimes I like to read on my phone and I'll get a text message. Or I'll get a notification. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're if you somebody that plays Sims, maybe your Sims are hungry. Oh, I've got to feed those Sims. Or something like that. Hide your phone. Turn the TV off. Remove the distractions. And you have to be tactical about it because the devil's tactical. And his demons are tactical. So you have to be very, I can't think of the right word. You have to be very purposeful in what you're doing. Now is my time to pray. I'm going to steal away. That I, I, We use these words and sometimes we, we don't think about the full effect, but you have to steal some of that time. You have to ignore things going on in the house. The dishes are okay. 
They'll still be there once you're done praying. That flat tire <laughs> will still be flat. Right, Poppy? I had a flat tire last week. Those things will still be there. But the more time that you give to distractions and the more you feed the wrong animal and that wrong dog and the more you fill up your vessel with things of this world and they may not be, may not be evil, Doing the dishes is not evil. You know? But the more you fill up those things with, with temporal, earthly things in your vessel, the more you yourself are going to be earthly. And the more yourself, you're not going to be thinking about celestial things, but you'll be thinking about terrestrial things. And instead of looking up and as we see the days approaching, the Bible tells us to encourage one another to look. As we see the day approaching, look to Jesus. We're all looking down here. Where is this thing? I knew I put it somewhere. And by the time you know it, an hour or two's passed. It's time to go to bed. You got to put the baby to bed. You got to get the bottle. The baby's fussing. It's going to take this and that. The kids are doing this and that. Oh, I still got to do the report for work. Oh my goodness. That room has got to be painted, but this and that. Distractions. They may not be awful things, but they don't amount to what you could fill up your, your vessel with. You know, if you want to taste the goodness of God, if we want to see people saved in this revival, I think that's what everybody wants. I think that's, that's what all God's people want to see. And it fills our heart up, doesn't it, to see a lost person come from, from death unto life and, and, and raised up in newness of life to see their countenance change. If we want to see souls saved, we ourselves have to set an environment that they cannot sit in the congregation of the righteous. And we won't get that watching TV. We won't get that with our feet up. A little slumber and a little folding the hands and a little this and a little that. And all the while, death is coming. We are, we are, it's appointed a man wants to die. And after this, the judgment. And everybody's got a number. Everybody's got a date. And that date is rolling for, uh, closer and closer to us. You know, mine might be tomorrow. Yours might be tomorrow. It might be 50 years from now. Either way, if it's now... Or if it's 50 years from now, it's still closer than it was five minutes ago. And time is still short. Life, James says, is but a vapor. It's a here for just a little while. And then it vanishes away. The most important thing in this life is to have your dishes done, right? The most important thing in this life is to make as much money as you can. The most important thing in this life is to have a huge, beautiful... No. The most important thing in this life is to know Jesus and to serve Jesus after you know Him. We are created by Christ Jesus and we are created in Him anew. And we are supposed to be doing good works for Him. We are creating His workmanship to do works, to move forward, to move the ball forward, to always go out, to be able to uh, talk to those in Franklin, to talk to those in Indianapolis, 
talk to our co-workers, to blossom where we're, pa- we're planted. We're not called to fill up our 401ks. We're not called to do this and that. We are called to be about the Lord's business. And he said, if you lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, that all these other things will be taken care of. He didn't say that if you leave father and mother and you fall after me, that I'm going to destroy your world. He said that I will take care of it. He knows you need clothes. He knows your bills need to be paid. He wants you to be at church, so he'll find a way for you to pay for that $5 gallon of gas. It may just be one gallon, but maybe he wants you just to pray a little bit more. Maybe we need to be a little bit more humble. Maybe I need to be more humble. I want to tell you that I pray more when when I'm praying about that next paycheck. You know, we used to be a different kind of people because we all used to be farmers. Lord, please bring the rain. Please bring the rain because we needed our crops are going to fail. I can't feed my family. I can't pay for this. I can't pay for that. And we're so blessed we forgot about the Lord. And we're comfortable. I'm scared to say that. Because my my inward man doesn't want to be comfortable, but my outward man sure does. It's scary, is it not? It's scary to think about to get to a point where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. But I want to tell you that the majority of this world lives life like that. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't have change in their pocket. I've got, well, I don't use money. I use my card. <laughs> But I've got change everywhere. And they don't know where their next meal is coming from. How blessed we are. Now God, I didn't say that because I want you to humble me. But I do, I want the blessings. So are we willing to go that extra mile? Are we willing to put practice in Are we willing to put our money where our mouth is? I think we all know what to do. Most of us know what to do. I've, thank the Lord, I've grown up this way and had many conversations, you know, what, and the state of our churches and a lot of the churches are, are dwindling and the numbers used to be this and now they're that and, what do we do? What do we do? And we know what to do. It's just really scary to do it. It is. It's scary to do it. I, I think the first catalyst and change is to understand there's a problem. And to find out what we need to do to fix it. And then now let's meditate and if, if we really want to fix it. Because we shouldn't take make that decision lightly. And don't let somebody else make your decision for you. You make that decision on your own. And God will allow you to, I think. I believe that. God will allow you to live a life that you want to live. He says, if you want to go off and you want to serve yourself, go ahead. 
He gave us choice. Now, sometimes our, our choices, they reap consequences. And, and sometimes God withholds judgment and he withholds consequences. And we look at situations, we're like, oh my goodness. Well, God is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's not for us to judge any situation. It's not for us to think about this and that. All we can do is make ourselves what we need to be, to pray that God would humble ourselves and change my heart and change my life. Because I want to tell you, it's, it's a lot better for us to change the world if we change our heart instead of trying to change so-and-so. Let me help you with your vessel. Let me, let me help you with this one. It's best to lead by example. Some of the best leaders, if you read any of those leadership books and if you uh, go to those seminars, and, and they all say to lead by example. If you want to be a good leader, don't tell somebody to do it and you do the opposite thing, but you yourselves, you spearhead it. Just like that king goes and charges into that battle and all his army follows him, that's a good leader. So, so you get yourself right. And then allow God to speak to you and listen to what he has to say and he'll never, ever steer you wrong. Amen. Never. But when we start trying to do it without the Lord's leadership... We can make a big mess. Like those great ships with those little rudders. You know, the uh, cruise ships and all these humongous... Have you ever seen a cruise ship? It's, it's breathtaking. It's like uh, the chase tower turned on its side. That's how big they are. Down, uh, down, I think it's uh, Salesforce Tower. I don't even know what the tower is called now. It's a big, huge boat. But the little rudder that you could turn it right or left is, is very small. And James says that those little rudders control the, the position and where that ship goes. So does our tongue. There's a danger to our tongue. There's a danger to our mouth. And it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. And if you fill your vessel with emptiness, vanity, and things of this world, that stink is going to come out of your mouth. And you'll poison your family. You'll poison your church. It's best to just keep your mouth shut. But I want to tell you, if you fill up your, your vessel with the sweet potpourri of the Lord, that those good things are going to come out and you won't have to beat somebody over the head with a rubber mallet but the sweet love of God will pour out of you and you'll see a real change in the person you're trying to talk to. You'll see a real change. The Bible talks about... <laughs> it's, the, it's the recipe for everything, isn't it? It gives us uh, instructions for how we live every way and how we do everything. The Bible gives us perfect instructions. Anything in your life that you are seeking after and you want the Lord's guidance, it's all right here. You just pray that God would direct your heart to where to turn to. And it's right there. This, this is His Word. 
You know, sometimes we ask God and we pray for different things and we want an answer. Here it is. This is His Word. He's spoken to us. And this is how He speaks. And I've been in prayer. I've been in prayer. And God has put a Scripture in my heart. And that's His answer. I'm sure you've been in that situation before too. God help me with this situation. Then He'll put Romans 8.28. Or He'll put James 4 and 7. Or He'll put whatever on your heart. And that's His answer. He's already spoken to you. Fill up your heart and fill up your life. Fill up your vessel with the things of this. And you won't have to worry about filling up with the things of this world because there won't be enough room for it. I don't get a chance to preach as much as I should. So forgive me for being a little long-winded. But I want to tell you that God, He just fills you up sometimes. So, For the remainder of this service and the remainder of this week, I pray that we would seek out His will whatever that might be, and be open to it. Pray for me when it goes well with you. Bless you.